As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the VanCast. No Thomas Trance this weekend. He's in Palm Desert with his lovely wife, Laura, his dog, Wallace. He's trying to decompress. Uh, we're only doing one show this week because he, he couldn't stand to be away. And uh, he wasn't even going to make a cameo on this show. So it's Farhan, it's Harmon. And uh, boy, he, I, I'm trying to grow a beard in your honor, my friend. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, with... Um... Well, I guess I'm here replacing Trance's beard, so we're still we've still got that even ratio of clean shaven. But yeah, I see see a little bit of uh, a little bit of stubble gray, there. You, gray, gray, yeah. This was meant to go out. Well, no, but I, like you know, I, I couldn't do the playoff beard, but there's not going to be any playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks, so why bother? You've even got the specs, so you've you've got the full boy genius thing in effect. So I I, I gotta I don't know if I can keep up, even though you're like eight years older than my son and like thirty years younger than me. So I don't know. Well, I ha- well, I need the facial hair because I, otherwise, like I remember the first time I was on TV when I was on uh, when I was 19, I was clean shaven in the 1920 season, and I remember going through the Reddit or maybe seeing on Reddit like, um, wow, this guy looks 12 years old, and I was just like, oh god, here we go, here we go. So um, now at least I can pass off for for being in in my sort of mid 20s, even yeah. though. Um, I, I at least don't look like a kid, and you know, no, if no, I walk into a press box, no, you, you, you do. Well, well, at least now it's like the scouts won't be looking at, hey, does this guy have the game sheets? Is, is he here to to every period? Go, go, <laughs> give us the stats. <laughs> well, they might think you're a player, right? I mean, you know, you'd be like, that, that's a good thing. I mean, that's what actually happened the first time I, I came into um, development camp, first time ever, full time. I walk in, and the the arena staff is like, go down, go down right through the tunnel and I start walking right and I see I literally see to my left the Canucks's um locker room makeshift for for again development camp and I turn back and I'm like I 
I don't think this is the right way. And they're like, oh, aren't you, aren't you playing? They're, they're about to head on the ice. I'm like, no, 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 no. And you, you look about as thick as Pedersen when he showed up for his first prospect camp. Yeah. And so it's like, like he was how... 160 then. So, you know, I can see the mistake. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, plenty of mistakes for the Canucks in overtime and in the first period of their game against Vegas, which if it's not the last nail in the coffin, it's pretty much the last nail in the coffin. A 3-2 overtime loss. Uh, we have seen this movie so many times with this team. You know, just a terrible, terrible start. Uh, they tread water in the middle of the game. There's a, there's a frantic finish to get to the finish line and get things tied. And you find a way to pull out a point in the game. And then you find a way to lose in overtime because you give up an odd man rush and you're on the wrong side of the puck and some sort of breakdown has happened. Um, man, have we seen this game a lot. And it's probably really indicative of what this team is three of their final 13. They have won three of their last 13. They had it right there before that homestand, right there. Uh, Destiny was in their own hands. They were on a roll. You know, we knew it couldn't have been sustained. Drancer told us over and over, Harm, this was not sustainable. You know he's in Palm Desert just flexing right now. Oh, 100%. He's uh, he's going to be um, cheersing to, to that one. And No, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I think part of it too is just since December, this team has had to play whatever it is, 670, 680 hockey, 690 yeah. hockey even, just to get in. And you can sustain that for short bursts, and especially when you have the initial sort of um, bump with, with a new coach and you're re-energized and you're motivated. But um, at a certain point, it just becomes difficult to sustain being all out and playing above your ability level for such an extended period of time. Because that's what the club needed. This wasn't a task of Boudreau comes in and you've just got to be a good team. No, the Canucks needed to be um, a top 10 team, if not even slightly higher than that in terms of point percentage, if they wanted to, from where they were in December, um, finish, in, finish in the playoffs. And that's a huge task considering it started in December and they were able to kind of make it. And I just think, I just think we saw a team that ran out of gas, especially when you look at... Um, the St. Louis games and especially the second one where the team didn't even have a, or have a third period push until about yeah. 10 minutes left. And, and we heard Boudreaux after the game too, talking about, well, in the, in, in the second intermission, we were talking about let's maybe try and keep it close, conserve for 10 minutes. And then we make our push. And, and, and that's, you don't talk about those types of things in front of a group that's gassed. And obviously even in that scenario, scenario, it was uh, a ton of travel for the group and, um, I just think the grind of the schedule and the season and, and how much lost ground you have to make up um, caught up with this group to a certain extent. And um, and it, they've kind of regressed back to now you look at now you now you step back and, and still under Boudreaux, the, the teams had a really good record. Um, but it was, I think, relative to I think we, we all agree that to a certain to, to a certain extent, this is a middling team. And could they have made the playoffs if Boudreaux had a full full season? And, um, you know, that was the hypothetical world. Maybe. Right. It's definitely possible, especially with how much the special teams have improved. But they just dug themselves way too deep of a hole. And um, I think they still deserve credit for having even made it interesting, for having even made it exciting. That to me is in it of itself an accomplishment and achievement, even if right now it's not going to mean anything for the group. Yeah, and I think that's important. You know, I know we a lot of fans were all over Drancer when things were going well, and and you know now they feel he's cheering that the team is is not doing well and is out of it. That's really not the case because we would all prefer to cover a winner, and I think they took the first steps with the management change. 
um, in December, you know, to get towards that end, but it's going to take time. And, you know, there, nobody needs to flex to suggest the roster flaws are what they were. I think we knew that. Uh, we knew it was an unsustainable pace. It was a lot of fun to cover. You mentioned you've got to give them full credit. Um, you know, and, and you look at the goaltending. You know, I, like I viewed the goaltending as being somewhat average in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, if you look at the numbers, uh, I know Drancher pointed out that in the last 12 games, they're still getting 933 uh, save percentage from both goaltenders. Uh, the goaltending hasn't been bad by any stretch, but you couple that with the fact that this team has given up two or scored two or fewer goals 39 times this season. It tells you where they're at offensively. And during that run, not the bump, but the second run they went on prior to that homestand, you got the sense that this was a dynamic offensive team. But really, it, it hasn't been over the course of the entire season. There just isn't enough depth of scoring, and that puts a lot of pressure on the goaltending. So, you know, Thatcher Demko couldn't be good. He needed to be ridiculous, and he hasn't been that in the last three weeks. Yeah, and I almost look at it in terms of Demko, we've become so spoiled, right? And Drancer's pointed this out too in terms of um, the number one team in 5-on-5 five five safe percentage. So it becomes almost a, a situation where even if he's playing tremendous hockey, just because it isn't best in the league at five on five type uh, goaltending, we 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 think to our, we think to ourselves like, um, oh, it's it's a, it's maybe slightly below what we're used to seeing. But even then, I think Demko's been fantastic. It's tough to really ask him uh, for a lot more, especially considering this is his first full season um, in any capacity, being the um, be, like playing these many games and under this type of schedule. Uh, and you mentioned the, I think, lack of offense. I think that has, I think, for the season kind of been one of the bigger surprises, and especially through the first 25 games was, I think we all going into this season had our question marks about um, the defense and how the club would fare in, in that respect. And But we looked at the top nine group and we thought, like, this is as deep as it's ever been. They've got three lines that can score. And it never just, it just never really materialized. And I think part of it, of course, was, you know, like Jason Dickinson's been a huge disappointment. And I think a lot of us expected or, or hoped that, hey, this is a guy that could come in, can stabilize the third line, can play shutdown minutes, and in, can maybe free up a, a player like Horvat uh, offensively. And, and even Dick, Dickinson hasn't been able to, um, like Horvat's still playing tough minutes. And, you know, so, so that's something to consider there. And, and when you even look at the power play, right, they're sitting around league average. And it's and we've seen the power play, I think, it's it's bumped higher since Boudreaux took over. But this was a group that um, in, just in 2019-20 with the exact same power play one personnel was, um, was I think, top three or, or at least top five in, in, in efficiency. And we, we just haven't seen that level. Uh, when's the last time a second unit scored? When's and the last time remember, a second unit played more than the final 20 seconds of a power play? Well, I think we've seen them here and there start with 30 or 40 seconds. But yeah. I think I think back to the again the 2019-20 season, that second unit provided a huge lift, right? And it wasn't just the first unit. Um, and that's where I remember the conversations this season about we're gonna have Hoaglander and we're gonna have Pod Colson and we're going to have um and we're gonna have Garland. And um we were excited on paper about the second unit. I certainly thought that they were going to be productive. And um, yeah, you mentioned a part of it is is of course the lack of uh lack of opportunity, but I just I've never really felt them threatened, and I think definitely offensively is where um, this team maybe fell short of um, when you look at the bigger picture um, where they fell short, maybe of, of expectations. 
Yeah, no doubt. But there is going to be playoff hockey in the lower mainland. Fear not, Canuck fans, the Abbotsford Canucks will be in the playoffs. We will speak to their general manager, Ryan Johnson, on the other side. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the VanCast. Right now we are delighted to welcome in the Vancouver Canucks Director of Player Development and the General Manager for the Abbotsford Canucks, the playoff-bound Abbotsford Canucks. Ryan Johnson, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. So first of all, congratulations are in order. I know at some point we hope that that success trickles up to Vancouver and we can talk about the Canucks clinching the playoff spot and doing it with nine games to go in the regular season. Just uh, take us through what's been transpiring in Abbotsford because, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a slow start to the season, but you guys have been playing really well of late. Yeah, I mean, we faced a ton of uh, adversity there as, as, as a team, as a community even, obviously with the, the flooding uh at the end of last year and, and uh, a lot of newness in regards to up and going a new organization from the business side from the hockey side of it a great job by rob maloney and his group um there of, of getting things up and running for us in a, in a short amount of time uh we faced a lot of injuries covid uh a lot of new faces uh, we knew it was going to take us a while to get a, a team a field to the group we had some good players but uh, actually building a team is completely different uh, and there's been points throughout the year where we've been healthy in Vancouver and allowed kind of that group to to get together. Uh, but injury and it's just been kind of one thing after another. But I give Trent Call and the group there a lot of credit. The players, we've had to bring in a lot of players that weren't expected to be with us on PTOs. And uh, they've done a great job filling in. And, and uh, uh, as we start to filter some bodies back here and get healthy, hopefully at the right time. That uh, the the group has earned a shot to 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 play playoff hockey. I'm excited for them, and who knows? Uh, it'd be great to have the the Fraser Valley in our community to be able to experience some playoff hockey, especially a first year organization. So a lot of good things happening. We need some need a little bit of luck, and, and we got some meat left on the bone here. But we'll see. Maybe we can see some playoff hockey out there. So for those fans that don't know where the team is at right now, they're currently in fifth place. They're one point back of fourth place Bakersfield, which is Edmonton's farm club. And if it were to end today, Bakersfield and Abbotsford would play in the first round of the playoffs. It's a best of three. Currently, because Abbotsford is trailing Bakersfield by a point, all those games will be played in Bakersfield. But if the Canucks can uh, can eke out an extra point here, you, I know you guys play Bakersfield twice in these final nine games. You could potentially host all three of those. So, um, you know, we're not necessarily going to break down Bakersfield in the matchup at, at this moment because a lot could happen between now and then. But let's focus on your team and start with the goaltending because the, in Vancouver, the goaltending has been so good for so long, and that seems to have carried over into Abbotsford as well. We saw Spencer Martin up here. I uh, did some very good things in the short time he was in Vancouver. He's carried that over into Abbotsford. And Mikey DiPietro, last seven games, has played very well also he has i mean we organizationally like you said very fortunate with uh, what the group has done obviously up there in vancouver and uh spencer martin uh we acquired him basically to give us some flexibility have a have a veteran guy that uh maybe could give us an opportunity to continue to let mikey and arthur Seelops develop and grow without having to thrust them 
you know, into a, a NHL lineup uh, or sitting on the bench in the NHL, allowing them to play and continue to play. And that's how it's worked out. Spencer's done a great job, as you, you alluded to, came up into Vancouver and had some huge starts when we were going through our COVID uh, situation and had some emergency goaltenders brought in. And, but um, he's had, done a heck of a job for us. Mikey DiPietro, uh, as, as you said, has, has been uh, very, very good. It faced some just as everyone, some adversity early, the COVID, some injury things, and but he's gotten back on track. So when you've got two guys that are pushing each other, alternating games, that's a really healthy environment. Competition is good. And then with uh, Artur Silovs, who eventually uh, got to Trois-Rivières, uh, the East Coast League, just to keep playing, playing games and getting starts. And he's done an excellent job for, for uh, them over the last month. So uh, very healthy organizationally in that department. Hey, Ryan, th thanks uh, for joining us and congrats uh, again for uh, clinching on the playoffs. Uh, I'm curious, one of the um, advantages touted with the move from Utica to Abbotsford was, of course, the proximity of um, how close they would be to the big club and, and the big organization. Have you felt a notice noticeable difference or advantages from a player development standpoint in having the farm team so close? And if so, what have those, I guess, player development advantages uh, been? Well, we've been able to, to spread our resources organizationally between Vancouver and Abbotsford, um, short drive down the road from our skills coaches. Um, I've got uh, a full-time skating coach out in, in Vancouver now that works a lot in every day with our young players in Abbotsford, which I think has helped immensely for somebody like uh, Daniela Klimovich or on a daily basis to have those resources. Uh, organizational support to have our, our management group uh, be able to drive down and watch practice and have eyes on guys or be able to head out and see a game when that allows um, touch base with players, but also our staff. It's great uh, just from a support uh, standpoint. And obviously in a, in a cap era where we sit with that, to have the flexibility to move guys in or out or limit the amount of bodies maybe that we're carrying in Vancouver's give us some, some ability to, uh, to manage that a little di differently. Whereas uh, with our Utica experience, we almost had to plan three or four days out looking at flights and how do we get guys here. Uh, and there were some long nights, I can tell you, trying, trying to figure those things out. So it's, it's been a benefit in a lot of ways. And then for me also just from our, our community and our, our fan base to be able to watch guys develop right in front of them, see them on a Friday night in Abbotsford and a Saturday night in Vancouver is, is, a, is a great fan experience. And um, that's, that's been excited for me for, to have our actual fan base, people in the province, be able to watch these guys. I think in the past, it was a lot of hearsay and reading about it, but now they get to visually see it, which is, uh, which is a pretty cool process. One of the things that new management has really emphasized is the importance of finding young free agent talent, whether that be through the NCAA or, or maybe through uh, Europe and, and obviously landing those free agents is, uh, a very competitive, uh, process. And, and I found it interesting sometimes to hear um, what are some of the factors that go into a player's decision. Um, and even in a couple of cases here, whether it kind of be the skills coach, Yogi, or, or as you kind of mentioned, the skating coach, Mackenzie Braid, those those sort of amenities can, can really be a perk. So an interesting sort of thing that I wanted to ask, let's say I was hypothetically a, a hotshot NCAA prospect trying to choose what team to sign for. What advantages would you lay out in terms of this is why you should sign and develop with the Canucks, whether it again be the proximity to the big club, skills coaches, opportunity. I'm curious, just how would you sell the organization and its strengths from an Abbotsford and player development standpoint? 
Well, I think one of the first discussions that they always want to have is, is your depth, your depth chart. Where would they fit in? What, uh, what do you or don't you have coming that maybe they could solve walking them through? Well, you've been identified because you're, you're something we don't have. Maybe we have some, we have prospects in the position, but we don't have a heavy power, power forward or, you know, you, you've got to walk them through why you value them, why, where you think they fit in your organization. And then, uh, as you alluded to, is, is we want them to know they will have every resource possible to get to where they, uh, to where they want to go, which is inevitably playing in the NHL. And so when it's, it's mapping out our, our skills, our skating coaches, mental performance, our, our coaching staff uh, in Abbotsford, the, the, the strength and conditioning side of it, the uh, being a part of a summer development camp, but also us basically mapping out an individual course from the time they sign on that paper to getting to training camp where they have the best opportunity to come in and uh, push to make our team. And if not, understand that we're going to have all the resources to eventually get them there someday. So th- that is a huge part of it is walking them through, um, you know, the, the the day-to-day attention that they will have. That's not, you can't blanket this on players. You can't throw one. Uh, every, every player is a different person, a different maturity level. And you have to have an individual process set out for them and you have to know them and know their strengths, know their weaknesses and be able to speak about it and how we can get them there. And I think at the end of the day, they appreciate the honesty and the, and the passion. And if they can understand, which is a part of it too, is selling our organization and our history of our organization, what we want to accomplish moving forward, our city, our province, all goes into a, a sales pitch uh, at the end of the day of trying to get these players on board. Ryan, how much has the management change impacted the group you have? Because if you're one of these prospects, you weren't necessarily drafted by this management team. Yeah, there's some scouts that are still there, but and yourself obviously is still there. But as far as the people making the decisions, there's been a, a real turnover and a real change. Does that make things really unsettling for some of these young guys because now they've got to reestablish themselves or does it go the other way? And they think, okay, well, now maybe I was buried by the previous regime and now I've got new life. I think it goes the other way. Anytime you've got a fresh set of eyes on you, it, it gives you a new opportunity. Um, and that's what I've said to our group. Uh, everybody from top to bottom is you've got a, an opportunity to make a statement, whether you're on an NHL contract, an AHL contract, the PTO, you've got a fresh group coming in here that is, that is uh, you know, when you, when you do that, make those changes in season very quickly uh, between Jim and Patrick, and they've got to get to know the organization from top to bottom very quickly. So, I've wanted to, uh, from our group in Vancouver to Abbotsford to our prospects, is walk them through, but also not make determinations for them. Obviously, giving my opinions or thoughts on some guys, but it's great now when they come to Abbotsford and, and watch those games and see guys and, and uh, guys that they're impressed with, guys that they've heard about, guys they've seen throughout their process of drafting, or just like we do, watching other American League teams and finding guys that are maybe maybe buried or maybe just need another opportunity. So that's been exciting for me to, to see them jump into our group and, and make some uh, assumptions based on what they've seen. The Canucks generally are regarded as having a fairly weak prospect pool. Uh, now, rightly or wrongly, you know those, those are the rankings, as it were. But I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that players haven't necessarily come through the farm system. A number of players have been fast-tracked based on organizational need, where they got taken in the draft. You know, Obviously, a guy like Hughes and Pedersen, or those two guys are going to go straight there. But there are other players, whether it be a Pod Colson or a Hoaglander and others that in another situation might spend time marinating for a year in the minors and, and really getting ready. Um, 
Do you sense that changing under the new management structure that maybe guys are going to spend more time developing before they get their first opportunity with the big club? I believe so. I think, I think we, we, we agree that um, the AHL is a very valuable step um, for these guys. And I think we've, you know, in our discussion, seen, seen some players maybe in the last three or four years that probably should have spent more time there. Or I don't, I don't love the word overcook, but it, it is. When you, uh, a perfect example of maybe that of a guy that we, we gave the time and we, we came from, you know, a free agent that had a tough time playing exhibition games, the AHL, who's become a pretty good NHL player in Zach McEwen. We, we spent the time. We gave him, you know, two plus full years to really come into his own, to grow the off ice, the, the maturity and, and understanding his identity. And for me, that is, it is a huge part is guys um, really being clear on the AHL level, what their identity is going to be at the NHL level. As much as you speak to them about it, they've got to figure out a, a perfect, uh, another example of, of a guy that was a, a scorer in, in the American league and put up some really good numbers eventually has carved his identity very differently. You look at Jonah Gavajevic in, in San Jose. I mean, he's finally, and he and I talked about it a lot. What is your identity going to be to get you into the NHL? And it's and so I think the, the American Hockey League is so valuable in guys understanding who they are and players, what their identity is, and how they're going to now kick the door down to be a part of a winning team in the NHL, as opposed to you do see some guys that get in there early years two and three they're not really sure what they are at the NHL level, and it's hard to go backwards. Uh, Ryan, just before the trade deadline, Vasily Podkolzin was among the players that uh, was papered down uh, to the AHL just to retain his Calder Cup uh, playoff eligibility. Do you expect that if Vancouver misses the playoffs, he'll join you guys down in Abbotsford for a potential playoff run? And and if so, um, what value do you think uh, that could have uh, for his game and his development? Well, that was our intention. Just to, if if uh, if we aren't able to uh, to work our way into the playoffs in Vancouver, uh, that we felt the the benefit of a young player like that going to play with his peer group, a, playing in a playoff situation where games uh, I find when young players play playoff games in the American Hockey League, it it almost fast tracks their development. It is a whole new world of of um, and we saw that I saw that with Demko and McEwen and some of these guys that played even in short time in the playoff hockey. What that did to their expectation. We want guys that expect to play into June every year. It becomes a, a habit that that that's just what we do. We've got a young group of guys, and I think Vasily uh, going to play with with a group uh, in Abbotsford that uh, he could probably take on a different role. Than he is now, and I think that will help develop his game and his confidence. Um, he would play in every situation, and again, in some meaningful games that I think, as an organization, we feel uh, we felt why not? You know, if if things fell a certain way and we had the opportunity to get him there to join that group, uh, a young group, and and take a shot at uh, at some playoff hockey, we thought it would really benefit him long term. And coming back in September, even a better player with a different mindset for going through it. In McDonough recently made the decision to go back to uh, the NCAA for another year of hockey there. Um, what do you think that can do for his development? And are you confident he'll sign with the organization uh, at the end of next season? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm proud of them. It, 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 in a sense of this, this is a two-way street when you, you know, this isn't just the team or the player. It's, and we've built a history of this, of building relationships with our players, having an understanding and ability to have these conversations. I know it was heavy on his mind on, do, uh, do I go back and kind of finish what I started and continue to work on my strength and my skating and really feel like next year he comes out and, and uh, can kick the door down. Um, so it's something that we, it was a conversation uh, we supported him on in, in playing pro hockey. It's an, it's an immense step physically, mentally, it's the first time they're out on their own a lot and you got to be ready for it. And for Aiden to take a step and say, maybe, maybe I need one more year before I take that step. Um, I'm proud of him for doing it because it's a hard decision to make. We support him as we have uh, for his first three, three years at Northeastern being a part of his process to help the things that he wants to get better at so that when he does come out, he feels ready. And, you know, like I said, uh, well, I went through this with Will Lockwood. You know, Will and I's conversation after his third year, although they went on longer, was, hey, I'm going to support you either way. And his assurance was, you know, I'm a Canuck. I am a Canuck. I just want to be ready when I, when I do become a Canuck. And here's a guy that's playing in our lineup right now. Uh, and I fully believe in, in Aiden is a Canuck, and, and it's going to be a part of this group uh, moving forward when he's ready for it. Hey, I'm just impressed he wants to get his degree. And I also want to ask you about Will Lockwood in a minute. But first, now that the Canucks – look, I understand the organization is not going to admit they're out of it, but the math is is pretty daunting right now. I mean, they're probably going to have to win 11 of 12 if they want to get in. So if the organization acknowledges that, look, this might not be the year we get into the playoffs, what are you expecting going forward? Because there's a lot of fans and maybe the organization themselves, they want to get a look at some guys. Jack Rathbone's name gets mentioned a lot. and But at the same time, you're now trying to build for a playoff run and these games matter as well. So – how do you balance the needs and what's the priority? Well, the priority is the Vancouver Canucks and doing what we have to do to obviously until we're mathematically eliminated, that's what we're pushing for. But at the same time, um, if, if it is an opportunity to give some guys an opportunity to play some games, uh, especially in front of uh, a new group of a new management group to play at that level, to show moving into next year, as we acknowledge as an organization, we need to get better. And if any of these guys give us an opportunity to do that, then we, we need them to, to be able to show that. So the, the priority is always the Vancouver Canucks, and, and we will make decisions based off of what is best for us getting into the playoffs, or is that what's best for us in the future? And uh, that's just, that's just you know, how things will go. Abbotsford, uh, whatever happens, is going to have some players and back and but our priority is always, you know, Vancouver Canucks and, and what we're doing moving forward and, uh, and go from there. As far as Rathbone is concerned, we saw him for a couple of games early on in the season. Just where's his game at coming out of that injury and uh, how much could he benefit by seeing some time in Vancouver before the end of the season? Well, absolutely. I mean, here's a kid who hadn't strung a big chunk of games uh, due to injury, COVID, uh, it, you know, there's been a lot of just interruptions with, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, as we've got them up and going kind of the second half of the year, uh, before the big kind of injury in, in Bakersfield, he was rolling and, and, and not just contributing offensively, but his game, his decision-making, uh, his D zone, everything was coming together. So we feel like we've got him back up and going again and in, in a good place. Um, and, and he, I think he, 
as you guys know, he's somebody that if we got the opportunity to uh, uh, to get a look at him uh, at in Vancouver, um, uh, whether it's an opportunity, regardless of where we sit playoff wise, uh, there you know we view him as a person that can help us either way. So I think with uh, a new group at some point, it'd be great for them to see him. And they've watched him in Abbotsford to to see how he can now do that at the NHL level would be great. I wanted to ask about uh, Danilo Klimovic. It's obviously rare for an 18 or 19 year old to uh, to make the AHL and uh, be a full time player that uh, early in their career. I think heading into the season, most thought that he would mo- most likely end up playing junior instead. Um, back in September when you made that decision to develop him in Abbotsford as opposed to junior, what went into that decision process and why did you ultimately feel um, Abbotsford was the right spot for him? Well, looking at a kid that naturally that it had so much size and power. Um, and that is usually my biggest worry of young play, even 19 year old, 20 year olds coming is, is the size the AHL can eat up guys that aren't ready for it physically. Uh, Danila, that was never a worry for me. It was more of the habits of his game, the, the wall play, um, speed throughout the neutral zone, being able to use his line mates, uh, puck management. Like I said, it, five feet inside his own blue line, five feet outside an offensive blue line, making the right decisions, managing the game. So it was all these things that I felt for him going back to maybe to major junior were those things that were going to be really harped on him for details. Or was it going to be just score goals, help us win games by being offensive, and don't worry about the rest? And so, um, I think some at some point people thought uh, we were crazy. But you look now, his body of work from where he was in September to where the kid is right now, it's it's astronomical of how some of those detail things he is he's improved and picked up on, and again to to. Uh, accomplish what he's had as a as an 18 year old that's turned 19 year old and this it's very rare to to what he's done and so i think at the end of the day and again moving forward we still have some hockey left and playoff hockey that um, now we can with what we've accomplished so far putting a plan in place for the summer increasing again some of his uh, explosiveness in his skating and heading into to training camp next year i think we'll see a much better and closer product to being an NHL player had we just sent him off and and watched him just put up offensive numbers knowing we were still going to have to dive into those details at some point. And you mentioned what an offseason or or summer could do and and we've also talked a lot about how difficult the transition is to the AHL and and a lot of people maybe not understanding um, how tough that adjustment process can be, especially for someone like Danilo, where it's not just the on ice, but it's about becoming comfortable language wise, culturally, and um, all of those factors. Considering how steep the learning curve would have been for this season, do you see him as a player that can take um, a big sophomore step um, because of just everything was kind of thrown all at once at him this season? And, and, and now that he's kind of gotten that experience under his belt, maybe. Um, he can take, uh, you could see a big breakout or, or a big step forward in, in a sophomore season. I, I expect that. I expect, you know, he has been, and we've had some um, um, ups and downs with him 100% this year. And there's been times where we've just asked him to take a step back and watch the game from up top. Sometimes when a young player has to sit out a game and they see it from up top, it gives them a whole different understanding of it. Um, 
But I expect him now from being where he's worked his way in at times, a second unit power play guy. I expect him now to take a step where there's more responsibility on him, uh, that he's more of a, a dependable guy, a guy that we want more and more important minutes that can, is going to contribute more offensively. It eventually works into where now he's the guy. And when he gets to that point, we'll know he's getting closer to being uh, an NHL player and ready to make that step. And do we see that in him? Absolutely. I do think once we finish up and he's able to take a deep breath here and then get into an offseason that we are going to kind of uh, retool some things and coming back into training camp in September, I think he's going to be a, a person that our, that our fans and, and everyone is going to be excited to see what he looks like after a good chunk of working on some things that we know we're going to have to work on with him. Ryan, final thing before we let you go is just yourself. Uh, you know, just how have you found the organizational change, your role in it, and what's next for you? Well, uh, Jim Rutherford, uh, Patrick Elvine have been very good to me, uh, throwing a lot of responsibility out the gates of they've kind of trying to navigate through a new organization and doing that in the middle uh, in the middle of a season is is an arduous task. But they've brought on some fantastic people that I'm I've enjoyed working with, and and I've been very uh, you know fortunate in my time in this game. I've, I've whether it's uh, Mike Gillis or Jim Benning or. Uh, Trevor Linden. I've been very fortunate to work with some very good people that, that I've learned a lot from and Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and the group that they brought in no different. Uh, I like to, I like to work hard, do good work, keep my chin down and, and try to help an organization get better. And so I've been treated very well and just excited for us as a group to try to make this organization better uh, in the long term. And hopefully here, I know we need some help, but uh, if we can navigate ourselves into the playoffs, that'd be great. And if not, we do it. We uh, we take the responsibility of making sure we make this group uh, better heading into next year. Ryan, thanks so much for doing this. Best of luck in the playoffs, and we we'll see you in Abbotsford in the coming weeks here. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to catch up with Ryan Johnson, the Canucks uh, general manager in Abbotsford, along with the director of player development for the organization. A lot of insight there on a number of players. And, you know, one thing we didn't ask him about was Archie Baines. Uh, you have to believe that he's going to want to get him here as soon as possible if Red Deer gets eliminated. But, um, you know, you, you get the sense that with this new organization and a little bit more of a patient approach, we might see players come through. We just haven't seen enough Abbotsford players come through here. Oh, absolutely. And, and you look at the track record of guys that have made the NHL and in which Canucks prospects have made it, it's usually been uh, a direct, uh, a direct transfer. And, and obviously you expect that for guys like Pedersen and Hughes, but um, even for the likes of when a Brock Besser made it or um, obviously pot goals now, but a, a Niels Hoaglander, um, there haven't been many guys outside of Thatcher Demko that had, that spent a lot of time in Utica and became impact NHLers. And I think that's absolutely something that uh, the organization is going to start to think a lot about because now that they don't have necessarily the high-end prospect pool right now, they're going to have to find talent um, in, in the NCAA or younger players in, in Europe that they can find um, that are going to need the longer um, longer time horizon of developing and they're going to need to develop in Abbotsford. And, and that's where it was interesting even to hear about um, some of the skills coaches or some of the skinny coaches, because that's one thing. And, and I kind of asked Ryan about, uh, Ryan about it. 
Um, that's one thing where you hear players kind of excited about, hey, I get to work with Mackenzie Braid, for instance. Um, and they've got, I think, resources there now. Um, and especially having boots on the ground. I mean, I can't even imagine with the when the team was in, in Utica, imagine yourself as a prospect and management doesn't even see you. Right. And let's say there's a scenario where you don't feel like you're getting a great opportunity or whatever the case is. I think it, it, can, it would feel if I was in that situation, pretty de- demotivating, knowing that the big club isn't even really able to look at me and um, I don't have the same level of resources and support. Um, and so hopefully, again, the organization just being close, hopefully that can um, help their development uh their development process moving forward. And that's obviously an area too, where Rutherford and Alvin had a lot of success in Pittsburgh, because I think um, up until this point, Utica hasn't really graduated as many um, full-time impact NHLers as, as maybe we would have hoped. Time for one final segment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You know, as we look at the Canucks situation, one thing that's always baffled me about their minor league issues we understand that, you know, where they've been, certain guys are going to get fast-tracked. And we talked about that with Ryan, and it just depends on opportunity. The Canucks have generally got so many holes in the lineup, and guys are getting drafted high, and they get those opportunities. But your farm team has got to be able to find a way to develop your bottom six guys, right? I mean, that has to happen. They need to be coming through that system uh, as much, if not more so, than maybe the top end of your lineup. And that's where this organization has failed. And you see a guy like Zach McEwen that all of a sudden, you know, things weren't going well between him and Travis after the last year. They give up on him. Now he's having success elsewhere. You know, the names he mentioned, and you talked about it outside of Thatcher Demko, the names he mentioned are getting their chance, their first sustained opportunity in other organizations. How big of a problem is that? It is. And, I mean, you look at a team, the teams that win, they always get – um, ELC support. And a lot of times you're not, especially if you're looking to be a contender, you're not going to have um, a bunch of top 10 picks that are ready to help on ELC. So that means you um, are looking at more mid-tier prospects that, again, will need that time in the American League. And that's where when you look at uh, teams like Tampa, right? How many Yan Gore types did they have um, that were able to contribute. And even it just seems like that's a team that has an endless supply of just players graduating through the American League system and being able to help out. And like you kind of mentioned, it's just an area that we haven't um, seen nearly enough. And, and again, part of it is that you, the Canucks, while they were rebuilding, had these high-end prospects and they're you expect a lot of these guys to just, just make the jump right away and not need 
um, the American League. But I mean, even to see a player like Jonathan Dallin, right? Um, it didn't work out for him in Utica. And now he's in San Jose in a different opportunity. And he looks rejuvenated. And we'll see what he ultimately ends up being, right? I'm not sitting here saying he's this high-end top six forward necessarily. And obviously, recently, he's slowed down. But he's playing NHL games, and he's making a middle six impact. And that's a guy who... It didn't work out for him in Utica with Trent Call, and now he's thriving in in a new in a new environment, in a new opportunity. Um, and so, to me, and again, I think the the proof is just in the fact that um, you're having to reference um, Gatchevich and, and, and Hewen, and, and and I think that's where even you want to bring in a higher volume of these uh, of these guys that you can roll the dice on. Um, where you sign these guys that it's NCAA, you've got to find your next Troy Stetcher type, right? Finding 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 Chris Tanev might be too high of a bar, right? Like that's a very rare thing. Um, but even someone like a Troy Stetcher, you you find him um, for nothing. You bring him into the organization, you develop him, and those are the types of wins that this organization needs more of. Because in a cap climate, you're going to pay your top end guys, and the the middle class is gone. I think, um, or at least you're seeing it diminish in terms of how many guys in the two to four million dollar range um, can you win with. It's it's becoming a league where you're spending your top end money and then you're filling out the bottom of your roster with um, guys in the one million dollar range, and that's where your farm system has to be a juggernaut and um, consistently churning uh, talent for you. You know, uh, Ryan talked about just the benefits of having the team so close to the big club. I got to be honest, I expected to see more in the way of movement between the two. You know, he talked about just keeping guys in Abbotsford, not having as many players around. You know, they with the injuries and stuff, they haven't been keeping the extra forwards. But I expected to see more movement, more, you know, more papering, you know, in an effort to shave a few dollars here and there off the cap, things of that nature. Any thoughts on why we maybe haven't seen as much of it in the first year in Abbotsford? Well, I think for starters, because the team's in LTIR, they can't toll the, the they can't accrue daily cap space. So I think that's where um, a lot of teams, and I remember Anaheim would be the most classic, funny example back when they had Shea Theodore, is it felt like they would paper him up and down every day. Uh, but that was, of course, at the time where I think they were able to accrue that, that cap space. So I think for cap purposes, there's a whole lot um, the Canucks can manipulate, and that's why you haven't um, seen them um, paper guys is as much. I think in terms of different opportunities, I'm really excited to see what Pod Colson can do. And, and I and I asked RJ about that opportunity because down here in, in Vancouver and just looking at Pod Colson's overall um, development track record, he's in a spot where he's playing bottom six minutes and he is mostly just playing five on five. And even when you look at what he was going through in Ska, this is a player who on a lot of nights over the last couple of seasons in Russia was only playing eight to 10, 11, 12 minutes a night and was sort of in a role where it wasn't, you're the guy, you're our go-to offensive weapon. It was a lot of just play your regular shifts as a third, fourth line guy. Don't burn us, be responsible defensively. We've got to be able to trust you. And now this is an opportunity, I think for him um, if and when Vancouver gets eliminated to join the Canucks, uh, join, join the baby Canucks for this uh, playoff run and be the guy, right? I don't think he's had enough of that opportunity of um, it's different when you're the number one offensive leader. And I think it's important that you consistently give guys top end prospects like that, that opportunity. You don't want them to sort of have this tunnel vision. Um, you want to be constantly giving them a chance to work on their creativity, to be dynamic, to um, express their offensive toolkit. And, and even recently, I think we have seen him 
play with a bit more confidence and we're seeing him drive to the net and, and create a lot of chances. And um, I'm just excited to see what he can do, even, even in a power play environment, right? Like he hasn't had a lot of, of those opportunities uh, here. And so he's just a, an example to me of, um, or you maybe don't see a lot of that movement with Abbotsford in, in, in the middle of the season, but now that we're seeing the big clubs start to, um, get out of it and, and, and Abbotsford, thankfully making the playoffs, I think it'll be a great opportunity with, with Abbotsford being so close. Like I, I don't, I'm sure it would have been a lot tougher logistically for a player like Pod Colson to go to say Utica, right? Because culturally and, and trying to find a place to stay and all those things. So, um, I, I think that's an example to me of you don't see that movement maybe midseason, but now you'll hopefully see some of those, some more of those opportunities. Yeah, and, and truthfully, as far as Pod Colson's concerned, I'd like to see him get a different opportunity here over, over these final Absolutely. remaining games, right? I mean, you know, we we know where we are here, right? And yeah, maybe the Canucks are going to wait for one more loss before they finally decide that they're in look ahead mode, which they should be in now. Um, but I, I want to see him now maybe get some time on on power play too. I want to see players like. You know Travis Dermott get get elevated a little bit, and you know you you've written about him as a possible top four guy and how he provides that level of value. I'd like to see him in that role more, right? And you know, for a number of these guys, it, I've seen what I need to see from Oliver Ekman Larson. I've seen yeah. what I need to see from Chase on. I've seen what I need I need to see from you know. There's there's a few others in and around in and around the lineup that you know you could just kind of park them or shelve them a little bit. I mean, do we need to see more of Tanner Pearson? It's not a shot on Tanner Pearson, but give Pod Colson a bigger opportunity at the expense of maybe a Tanner Pearson with a guy like Garland. You might want to um, give him more minutes just to try to reestablish his value and get some goals and maybe pad his stats before the end of the year. If in, in the event you decide to move him, but I think they're now at that point where, yeah, we want to see Jack Rathbone come up and you know, what else can they do where you can give guys better opportunities? Absolutely. That has to, I think be the top priority, especially if they lose um, one more is when I think it's, it, you, you can't even, you can't even uh, pretend about it, I think. And yeah. um, that's where I think you hit on a, a great number of topics, right? Um, a player like Pod Coles and get him more reps on the power play, top six role uh, on the penalty kill too. And um, even with someone like Will Lockwood, right? We've seen him get the opportunity and, and he's playing in an everyday role now. But Lockwood is a player who, to me, when you look at his lack of production in the age, I'm like, that's not necessarily a problem to me because he's never... He was never brought in to be a scorer or an offensive guy, but if that's the role, that's the niche, the identity he's going to carve out in an NHL role is, hey, my value is going to be outside of the offensive side of the game. Well, then you've got to give him a chance to express the defensive side of his game, right? And um, there are only so many non-penalty killing bottom six players you can have. So let's give Will Lockwood an opportunity to kill penalties, right? Because a player like Lockwood has, I think, taken big strides in the American League in that respect. But defending an AHL power play is way different than an NHL power play. And if you want him, if you want Lockwood to be a full-time player for you next season, that's the challenge that he has to be ready for in the AHL, right? Just, just, just put the context in this way. A player like Nick Patan, right, is considered uh, a wizard with the puck, a power play magician, if you will, or, or even down in Abbotsford right now, it's the likes of Sheldon Drys and Sheldon Rempel that are tearing tearing it up on the man advantage. That's the caliber of players we're talking about when we think of top-end power play producers in the AHL. Now compare that to the NHL, right, where Lockwood is is playing that, is, is killing against that caliber of opponent in the AHL. But now, all of a sudden, in the NHL, 
you're going to, let's say, going into next season, maybe hope for him to defend against Connor McDavid and, and Johnny Gaudreau. And sure. um, when Tampa rolls into town, like those, those big guns offensively, it's a massive difference in the pace of play, um, the skill level. And you, I think, need to give him that chance to, um, even going into the offseason, understand what it's going to take to carve out a, a full-time NHL role. And the other one that you kind of mentioned was Travis Dermott. And um, again, I've I've always sort of felt that um, he is ultimately more likely to be a bottom pair um, NHL offense, but a very good one, mind you. Uh, but there still is that that chance of, of could he maybe be a number four or five type guy. And um, I think about a player like Tyler Myers in, in his $6 million cap hit is if you find a way to shed his cap space, you have to know how confident could you be in Travis Dermott potentially playing, let's say, the right side next to Oliver Ekman Larson, his second pair role. Might not be plan A, might not even be plan B, but just to know, is that a realistic opportunity in, in giving him that shot in higher leverage minutes? Um, I think you, you can experiment with it now. You, I, I don't know if you can experiment with it if you don't know um, early at the start of uh, the season when the games actually count. And um, even to a lesser extent, you're talking about opportunities, a, a player like uh, Spencer Martin, he's continued his kind of AHL heater, um, and the Canucks don't have a backup sign for next season. Um, it'd be nice to give him a greater body of work in the NHL and just be sure about that decision before you make that uh, commitment. Um, so absolutely. I think now is kind of the time to experiment and give guys different opportunity, uh, different opportunities. Now, meanwhile, is the time for uh, Harmon Dahl to enjoy Las Vegas. Vegas and uh, Arizona, back-to-back nights. You're on the road. Enjoying it already? No? I, I mean, it's funny because on um, on Sunday, so I flew out. I had a 7 a.m. flight Monday. I could not sleep at all Sunday. I've never, I've never had this happen before where, where I legit went, okay, I'm going to bed at a reasonable time, 10 p.m., which is early for me. My average bedtime is like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning just because I end up end up usually work, working late at night or, you know, the hockey writer schedule. I'm like, wow, I'm in bed early. Look how proud I am of myself. And then I watched the clock every hour and eventually got to like 3.40 and I was just like, okay, my it's, I would have gotten up in 10 minutes anyway. So I pulled an <laughs> all-nighter off, uh, maybe got two hours of sleep on the plane um, but I'm surprised at how well I, I handled things. Took, took a bit of an earlier night. Um, I think got in bed at around 1230, but um, had a good night of sleep. And, and yeah, I mean, now, is, now I think is going to be my, more of my opportunity to, opportunity to kind of explore and um, have, some fun, have some fun before uh, the game tomorrow. There you go. I mean, hey, you get all the good trips. You got New York. Now you got Vegas. Pretty good life for you, my friend. Uh, listen, enjoy this. Uh, we're going to take off. And uh, there's only one van cast. With Drancer on the shelf, he wouldn't allow us to do two. He's a little worried about being Wally Pitt by the boy genius. Uh, but we do want to thank you for listening to the VanCast. And uh, please follow us, subscribe, uh, leave a rating, and leave a review. Right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast. Again, we're back next week with Thomas Drance. And uh, for Harmon, I'm Farhan. Thanks for listening.